Welcome to the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. It's Indiana. Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Unbelievable! Your daily home for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Welcome to Indiana basketball. Smart takes the shot, and the Hoosiers with three seconds. Go ahead. Indiana wins the championship. Keith Smart is the hero. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Now here's your host, Matt Dennison. It's Indiana, what I feel is the pinnacle, the absolute pinnacle of all of college basketball. Hello and welcome in. Monday edition of the program. Lots to get to today coming out of the weekend, and obviously we'll start with IU basketball here in just a few moments. The Hoosiers with a loss 80-62 at home. And I'll be honest, I think a lot of us expected a letdown game uh, after the huge win on Thursday night. I'm a little disappointed, maybe a lot disappointed, at how Indiana played and how the game finished, obviously that's quite the deficit to lose, especially on your home court. Indiana's perfect streak at Assembly Hall now over for this year. However, uh, Michigan played really well. Michigan shot the three-point bomb uh, really well on Monday. And uh, so you put all that together, a letdown game. Michigan shooting it especially well. Indiana, uh, you could say back to maybe Norm from uh, the field or from the the, uh, field or the perimeter maybe is the word I'm looking for. But nonetheless, I'm going to tell you that I like where this Indiana team is at heading into this week. I like the uh, week last week, the win on the road at Nebraska, the win at home, obviously over Purdue was huge for a number of reasons. Obviously, you could have continued a hot, hot streak for Indiana. Had the Hoosiers down Michigan at home, I mean, everybody would just be absolutely praising uh, this team today. However, after the loss with what's ahead, I think Indiana, a very winnable game at home on Wednesday, a game against Penn State. They've got to win. They go to Maryland on Saturday. That's a game they can win. Maryland is is not that good, uh, even at home. And so two coming up for IU that I think are very, very important. Now, they're not the most attractive games on the schedule. They're not going to be the most in demand for tickets. The Penn State game definitely will not be even at home. And at Maryland, hell, some of the crowds there I've seen on TV, I'm not sure if they still have – uh, some some COVID requirements or situations or what, but the crowds at Maryland games that I've flipped through and seen on uh, TV so far this year have been way, way, way low. So, uh, But two big ones for IU. They've got to get Penn State at home. They've got to get Maryland uh, on the road. And then, of course, you look at another stretch of games coming up to start February. Illinois at home, Kofi Coburn, is he going to be healthy and back? We would assume so by that point. At Northwestern, at Michigan State, Wisconsin at home. So uh, some tough ones coming up. Boy, Indiana really needs to get these next two conference games. Penn State at home on Wednesday and at Maryland coming up on Saturday. So lots to get to. We're going to talk some high school basketball coming up. Uh, Very interesting weekend as things, I think, start to really shake out as we turn to the postseason, which is hard to believe, but it's coming up for boys. And speaking of the postseason, the girls' pairings were announced on Sunday afternoon as well. So we can chat a little bit about those today and I'm also going to bring up a little bit of NFL football. And if you listen to this show on a daily basis, you know that, yeah, we talk some IU football. 
uh, especially when the Hoosiers are playing good, are playing well like they did a year ago. Uh, we talk a little bit of high school football and promote some of the top performances in the big games, but I'm just not a football guy. I'm a basketball guy, and if you know me, you know that. I'm just not an NFL guy either. I just don't have a team that I'm a diehard for. I've tried to get into the Colts, and I can't. But I did get a chance on and off this weekend to watch portions of some of these unbelievable NFL games. And so I do want to mention a couple things from that coming up here in just a moment. Let's get into the show lineup, a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany, segment one. Uh, we're going to talk about all the things I just mentioned, IU basketball, uh, NFL football, high school basketball from over the weekend as well. Uh, in our headline segment, a summary of the day's top IU and Southern Indiana sports news. Then coming up later in the hour, it's Monday, so Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star will join us. We'll recap IU Michigan. We'll take a, a look at the week ahead uh, for IU basketball. I've told you already today it's a very, very important week, I think, for this team. And so we'll cover that coming up. Also, if we have time with Zach, uh, some real changes coming to IU football and the defensive side of the ball for the upcoming season. So we'll try to get into that a little bit as well. And then later in the show, uh, Chad Gilbert, he's the athletic director at Charlestown High School. He's a former coach in the area. He joins us Mondays as we talk local sports. Chad's also on the IHSA executive board, so he's got a real feel for everything across all sports going on. Uh, here in the area, and we'll talk a little bit about the girls' pairings for the tournament that were announced yesterday. We'll talk about some of the results from over the weekend. There were a number of really good high school basketball games over the weekend. Floyd Central defeated Jennings County in overtime on Friday night. That was a fantastic game. New Albany wins at home. Tucker Biven with 32 points as the Bulldogs beat a I would say solid Evansville Wrights team, double overtime. Lots of thrilling moments in that contest. Rock Creek beat Providence. Just a number of really good games and results over the weekend that we'll talk about coming up here in just a few moments. All right, that's the show lineup, a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. Don't forget to check out their dinner package deals, which are being offered. You can dine in, take them to go, and curbside service is still available at Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. Let's look at our headlines for the day, a summary of the day's top IU and Southern Indiana sports news. Michigan 80, IU 62. We're going to break it all down with Zach Osterman a little bit later in the program today. Trace Jackson Davis, 17 points. Uh, also for the Hoosiers, he had eight rebounds. Six of 13 from the field was TJD. Uh, Xavier Johnson next in line. He had 14 points. Only two uh, IU players reached double figures. Thompson and Stewart, they each had nine points as well. But definitely a lackluster game for the Hoosiers. Uh, Hunter Dickinson and Caleb Houston uh, absolutely had monster games for Michigan. They played, at least against IU, I think like we thought that they would this year for Michigan, which is a big piece of why people thought Michigan was going to be the best team in the Big Ten Conference with Purdue kind of hovering right behind them. Purdue's been really good, but Michigan's been not right behind Purdue. They've been on down the, the line just a little bit in conference play. I thought Indiana's defense was not good at all on Sunday, and uh, also uh, we saw some shooting struggling once again, and slow starts. This team uh, continues to have slow starts, especially at the start of the game, and that often will reoccur coming out of the locker room in the second half as well. So all things we'll talk with Zach Osterman about a little bit later in the program. 
but definitely uh, some concerning points from that game. However, Indiana coming off a huge win. It's hard to state how important the Purdue win on Thursday was for this IU program and for Mike Woodson in year one. It's huge for their resume. It's huge for their conference standings, results. Obviously, a Michigan win means the same thing in the conference, but there's something about that Purdue victory that's really big. And that shows you that Indiana, especially at home, can play with anyone. But uh, we'll see this week moving forward with Penn State on Wednesday and Maryland on Saturday if Indiana can be the team that we think they can be, uh, even at, not at their best, they can beat a Penn State at home and even a Maryland on the road. They've got to win these two games to square themselves up for the February stretch, the February gauntlet that is ahead. And I think that if they win these two games this week, Indiana will have themselves some good situation as long as they don't just totally fall apart in February, as long as they can protect their home court and win another game or so on the road. I think this Indiana team's headed to a good spot for March. We'll see, but that's just kind of the feeling I have coming out of Thursday's game, even regardless of the Michigan letdown, the Michigan loss uh, on Sunday afternoon. Also, uh, high school basketball over the weekend. Rock Creek uh, got their first win over Providence. Uh, Providence has been really good this year. Providence has defeated Jeffersonville. They competed for a half or more with Floyd Central. Really good in 2A basketball. Ryan Miller does an outstanding job, and the Pioneers are going to be a force to reckon with when we get to their uh, sectional and their state tournament a little bit later in the season. But a big win for Rock Creek to to defeat Providence uh, at Providence. Also, I mentioned some overtime games. Um, Floyd Central in a Hoosier Hills Conference battle scored another really big win as the Highlanders improved to 10-2 on the season. Jennings County is solid. They are good. They can win the sectional at Seymour. That may come as a surprise to some people, but the Panthers are no longer at the middle or bottom part of the conference. They are a solid basketball team, and Floyd Central had their hands full with Jennings County, even on their home court Friday night. The game went to overtime. Floyd was able to pull away. It ended up winning. I think it was an eight- or nine-point final deficit for uh, Floyd Central to top Jennings County. But a really good win for the Highlanders and proof that the Hoosier Hills Conference and the 4A sectional down the stretch here uh, are going to be really, really good to watch and a lot of fun basketball to follow in our area. Also, New Albany, who was smacked a few weeks ago by a really good Cathedral team, They've had some good moments this year. They've had some bad moments. See the Cathedral game, see the Floyd Central game earlier in the year. And there have been other good ones and bad ones for New Albany, but Saturday was a good one. They got a win at home over Evansville Wrights. Double overtime victory. This is not an Evansville Wrights team of a few years back where they were a, a caliber, 4A state caliber type team. But it's always a good, well-coached Wrights team, always a Wrights team that throws some different defenses at you. And uh, Jaden Thompson, a big three-pointer to force the overtime. Tucker Biven was solid all night with 32 points for New Albany. Uh, New Albany won that game in double overtime, both overtime periods, without two of their starters. Uh, so amazing to see New Albany finish strong, missing Justin Carter. And again, a couple key players. Maddox Schmelz did not play a senior in that game on Saturday night. So kind of a uh, I don't want to call it a statement win for New Albany, but New Albany continues to play good basketball. They're, they beat Scottsburg handily. They beat, they pulled away from Southwestern. They beat Evansville Wrights in double overtime and some other challenges ahead uh, for this New Albany team. But they are playing good basketball at the right time of year. And I think on any given night, they too can be a threat for 
Floyd Central or for whoever we think as we get closer, the top two or three favorites uh, in that 4A section. And I think if you're Jim Shannon, that's all you could ask from New Albany uh, at this point of the season. Also, some other good games over the weekend as well. We'll chat a little bit more about some of the high school action over the weekend with Chad Gilbert later in the show. But I did want to give uh, a shout-out to the Silver Creek girls. They wrapped up the, uh, the Mid-Southern Conference, their second straight Mid-Southern crown on uh, over the weekend with a win as well. And Silver Creek heading into the tournament, the girls' tournament, just in a few weeks from now, really a week and a half. They are the storyline to watch here in the area. They are the team from Clark and Floyd counties that I think is best suited to make a run uh, once again in the tournament after the record season that they've had again this year following up their state championship performance uh, as well. Also, I want to talk NFL football for just a moment. And as I do, I want to plug the Thornton's text line, 502-414-1450. Again, 502-414-1450. We've already got some comments there. We'll get to those here in just a bit. But um, NFL football, I don't talk a lot about it. I know some of you that listen and some of you that text are much more the NFL uh, experts than what I am. But I did catch portions of all of the big foot, all, all the games this weekend. And obviously the NFL – has to be thrilled for a ratings uh, side of things, from a fan interest side of things, with the lower seeds winning with unbelievable games. So many of them decided on a field goal. So the last one, obviously, may be the best NFL football game that I have ever sat down and watched the second half into the overtimes, the game last night uh, between the Chiefs and the Bills. But my question from last night is, how is – that a fair overtime situation, a fair overtime rule. Last night with the Chiefs and the Bills, so exciting, both teams scoring every possession. You know it's going to come down to who gets the coin flip, who has the opportunity to score first. And so when Kansas City gets the coin flip, no reason to believe they're not going to march down the field and, and score a touchdown. And they, a field goal does not win the game but a touchdown does win the game. The other team, the Bills, never get a chance to get the ball back. I know college football, there is an opportunity for both teams to get the ball. I know there has to be some ending <clears throat> because when you get in a game last night uh, where both teams are scoring every possession, I mean, you know, how long would the game, could the game have lasted had there not been the rules that are there? But uh, I just think it's a terrible look to uh, see the other team who not get a chance to see what they can do in the overtime period. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. Uh, maybe I'm just an outlier because I'm not a big NFL guy and I don't understand all the particulars, but very uh, confused as to why that would be a rule from a professional sports organization. Other than that, NFL football, one of the most unbelievable weekends that I can ever remember, uh, how the games finished, the tightness of the scores, the upsets, and of course that game last night, the last one of the weekend. Again, I'm not an NFL expert. I don't sit down and watch NFL every week. I watch bits and pieces of games when I have time and the opportunity to do so. I don't have a team that I love or follow on a daily basis, but really, really surprised uh, at how things ended. What a game that was on Sunday night. We'll head to a commercial break. A reminder, the Thornton's text line is open, 502 502- 414-1450. We've got some comments from the IU game that we'll get to, to here in just a bit. Thornton's is your uh, perfect stop for all the best pick-me-up items you need. 
to get your day started, like their fresh coffee and delicious donuts. Get your text in now, your IU questions and comments for Zach Osterman, your high school notes and comments for Chad Gilbert, who's going to join us later in the hour. Stay with us. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. I'll handle this the way I want to handle it now that I'm here. You f***ed it up to begin with. Now just sit there or leave. I don't give a what you do. Now, back to the game. Here's Matt Dennison. And we're back here on this Monday program. Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star is with us. The Thornton's text line is open, 502-414-1450. Again, 502-414-1450. Getting some comments on IU and also the NFL stuff I brought up about uh, the overtime. Getting some good comments on that as well that we'll get to a little bit later in the program today. Zach Osterman is with us. Zach, uh, the game on Sunday for the Hoosiers, we thought it was set up on the schedule to be a letdown game, especially after IU clipped Purdue on Thursday night. And I thought that's exactly what it was, a letdown performance by the Hoosiers and a really good three-point shooting performance uh, by the Wolverines. And that was just a bad combination for IU at home as they dropped their first game at Assembly Hall. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's there's kind of two dueling – sorts of conversations you can have about this. I think one is that you can understand where any Indiana fan is coming from that sees Sunday's performance and, and you can forgive any sort of like, Oh boy, here we go again, you know, kind of reaction. Um, I don't think Indiana fans have really gotten carried away after the Purdue win. You know, I, I saw a little bit of chat of like, hey, let's stay in touch with the top of the Big Ten, but I don't think anybody really thought Indiana was going to contend for a Big Ten title or anything like that. Um, but, you know, we, we talked so many times about Archie Miller's record, how poor it was after ranked wins. And, you know, if you were Indiana, as a, if you're an Indiana fan, you really wanted to see Purdue carried on into Michigan, get a win, get a little bit of momentum, feel like you're, you know, kind of defeating some of the demons of the Archie Miller era. He never defeated Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, feel like you're just kind of moving in a positive direction. On the other hand, I, I think that's, that's all fair, and there is a benefit of the doubt that Indiana as a program, as a team, just kind of needs to earn back from its fans after the last three or four years. On the other hand, you know, with regard to this specific game, it was Indiana's third game in seven days compared to Michigan's second game in, I think, nine days. It was not a good matchup for Indiana, which has struggled with teams that have really good wing athletes and players that can score from the wing. And I know that guys like Terrence Williams and Caleb Houston haven't always maybe lived up to what we expected of them in the preseason this year, but they still have that talent. And Indiana does not have great matchups for them. And, you know, people call – people like to call a, a game like Purdue, you know, sort of the, they call the game after it a hangover game. And I think that the problem is that sometimes sort of leads people to believe that, you know, players were out celebrating and drinking <laughs> until 3 a.m. I have no idea what Indiana's players did to celebrate the Purdue win. But they could have gone home and gone straight to sleep 
and there still would have been an unavoidable emotional sort of washout after that game. It, it just it was always going to mean too much. It was always going to take too much. If anything, it was even even more so because of the way they had to win it and then the way they did win it. I just think that Michigan was a, a badly timed game. Like I, I'm not sure there's a worse team that Indiana in the Big Ten could have hosted on Sunday than Michigan, and um, for all the, the, the attendant reasons. Now, all that only gets judged by what Indiana does, let's say, in the next four games, because I think there's a, still a very realistic path to like three and one in that four. And if you do that, you're fine. You're still very much on track for the tournament. You're in a, a good position, you know, from a, a conference record standpoint and all that. But that's where you do get back into Indiana can talk about being different, can talk about being tougher, can talk about being improved and not the same team and whatever else. That's This is where you've got to earn that benefit of the doubt back. You're allowed, I think, to have a tough day Sunday for a lot of reasons that were broadly speaking out of your control. You didn't make the schedule. Purdue was always going to drain you, et cetera. But you gotta, you've got to rally from Michigan and, let's say, like I said, win three of these next four. You do that, and you can totally excuse the Michigan performance. You don't, and then it does feel like you're sort of locked in, in that unbreakable cycle that Indiana's been in the last couple of years. I, uh, I want to talk about what's ahead because you went there as well. And I said this in our opening segment today, but the win over the win at Nebraska was good. The win at at home against Purdue was amazing for IU season and for so many different reasons. Yes, the the loss on Sunday at home was not a good one, and it just wasn't a good performance, a good final score, a good anything. But I do believe this week, if you want to drill what you said down even closer, uh, Penn State at home. Penn State's a game at home. Indiana, you you just have to win. And then at Maryland, who's been struggling so far this season with lots of turmoil and even a midseason temporary coaching change also. This is a big week for IU. It's not two of the sexier games. There's no rivalry games here. Uh, but these are two games that Indiana needs to take care of business to set themselves up for what's ahead. I certainly think Penn State. Maryland's a little bit harder for me to figure out. Uh, just, I mean, there's such a weird – they have had such a weird season, um, but it is worth saying, and I know it's with, without Kofi Coburn, but the, you know they, they, they did beat Michigan by 16 on um, on Saturday, and and just via the or the Friday, excuse me, and via the vagaries of the the Big Ten schedule, they'll actually only play once in the eight days between that win and, and Indiana's visit. In the same breath. Um, I think if you're Indiana, you have to beat Penn State at home. That, that, that there's that's a no compromise kind of game. It, it doesn't matter how you do it; you just can't lose it. Um, you go beat Maryland. It's not really an NCAA tournament. You know, it, it doesn't bolster the resume or anything. But I think it does start to get. You know, Indiana's never won at Maryland, and and obviously, as we've talked about many times, you know, wins on the road, basically anywhere but Nebraska. Uh, for this team have been an unholy struggle the last four or five years. You win at Maryland, whatever their circumstances, yeah, suddenly it, it does start to feel a little bit different. And then you set yourself up to come home and play Illinois on, on February 5th um, in a game that could be you know, somewhat akin to that. You get a whole week off, and then you get a game somewhat akin to that Purdue game where you win that, it's a huge boost, it's an emotional victory, et cetera. And then you start to be able to look at those fans and say, hey, listen, we're 8-4 and four in the conference. We're 17-5 we're and five overall. We're doing fine. You can trust us. 
yes, there'll be bad days. I, I, I reference, you know, sort of, um, seasons gone by in, in Indiana basketball, just because I think sometimes programs like this can, can lend themselves to myth-making a little bit, you know, in 1986, Indiana went into the final game of the season at Michigan with a chance to win a share of the conference title, went up to Michigan and lost 80 to 52, you know, even in even in the Halcyon years, Indiana had some stinkers and some real no-shows. Um, it's okay to have one of those every once in a while, just as we talked about the other day. It's okay to lose by nine at Iowa. Whatever the circumstances, that's an acceptable defeat. But you get the you get that trust back by doing what you talk about, which is find a way to go two and zero this week. Doesn't have to be pretty, you know. If, I mean, if if literally right now. You offered Mike Woodson the two results that Ken Palm. Ken Palm has him as the favorite, 66 to 59, seven point favorite against Penn State, 68 to 67, one point favorite at Maryland. If you offered Mike Woodson those two results right now, I think you'd snap your hand off for them. Because results like that would lend themselves to this idea that Indiana is rebuilding that sort of, that sort of solid foundation of consistency and of being able to say, this is what we are as a program now. Not that, that, you know, just maddeningly sort of inconsistent level of performance that you got used to the last three or four years. I think there's a lot to be gained this week from Indiana. And as we talk about fatigue for this team, um, it's also worth pointing out, you get through these two, then you do have your week off. You, you know, you, you have your bye week built in right there around the turn of the month. Um, find a way to go 2-0 and this week, and you're in a really good situation, I think, if you're Indiana. Yep, I agree. Zach Osterman, the Indianapolis Star, our guest. I want to go to the Thornton's text line. I know this has come up before. Uh, Zach, you always have such great takes and opinions on this IU ball club, but the text says it's time to shake up the starting five combination. Those five guys keep digging us a hole to start games and to start the second half. Time for some more energy like Galloway or Geronimo to start the game. What is your thoughts on a shakeup of the starting five after this Michigan game and after what we've seen now at this point of the season? And if there is a reason for a shakeup in your estimation, uh, would you insert Galloway or Geronimo if you were the coach? So shameless plug. I know Dustin is writing something about this today and today's my first day back on, uh, back off, off paternity leave. So I wasn't at the game Sunday, but, um, my perception of, of parsing Mike Woodson's answer when someone asked him about changing the lineup was he didn't really he didn't commit to it, but he also didn't not commit to it. If that makes sense. And I mean, this is a coach who is, for example, when we asked, uh, you know, is there any room for Christian Lander or something like that, he said that he more or less pretty much said, you know, my hierarchy is established. It's, it's Xavier Johnson and then Rob Finnessy, and those are the guys I believe in right now. So when he has been offered the opportunity to sort of make emphatic statements, he's done so. And he didn't seem to nearly as much Sunday. Now, that doesn't mean that he will. Um, I think you could make a case for that. And, and I'm not, you know, I, I, I try not to be the person who is, is kind of, you know, rattles that cage too much. I think it, it, can, be, it can be one of those things where it's, it's really easy to change a starting lineup. And it makes you feel good to see it change, but you don't just do it for the sake of feeling good. You need to do it knowing that you're going to be better for it. And that's not just in your starting rotation. That's also in how that change affects the way things cascade down. You know, Trey Galloway, if you look at Ken Palm's most used lineups, 
Trey Galloway isn't in the most used lineup, which is the, what has been the starting five all season long, Johnson, Stewart, Cop, Thompson, Jackson, Davis. But he's in the next four after that. And if you look at, you know, as a percentage of how much those lineups play, that starting lineup plays 26% of minutes in the last five games. But the next four after that play about 28%. So you're getting – You've got a lot of Trey Galloway there, even though he's not in the starting lineup. If you move him into the starting lineup, suddenly those minutes need to be redistributed somehow. Are you still getting the same impact in the second line if you're moving one of the most impactful second-line players up to your starting lineup? Maybe the answer is to change the lineup. Maybe the answer is to, to shorten that lineup's time on the floor a little bit more. You know, We've seen Mike Woodson persisting in first half, I think, with that starting five deep into the second media timeout segment, um, sometimes all the way until the under-12 timeout, or at least for a lot of those guys. Maybe the answer is to have a quicker hook for a couple of those guys and just sort of say, you know, we're, we're not necessarily going to change the, the starting lineup, but we are going to shorten our rotations a little bit or chop rotations up a little bit and get some other guys more minutes on the floor because, as, as any coach would tell you, it's a lot more important who you finish with than who you start with. And Trey Galloway has been a finishing player in some of Indiana's biggest games in the last couple of weeks. I could see a case for shaking up the starting lineup. I could also see a case for maybe keeping it as is, but just starting to sort of shorten minutes on the floor and, and look at some of those bench guys like a Trey Galloway, like a Jordan Geronimo, uh, maybe even like a Michael Durr to some extent. I think he's played well in the last couple of games, couple three games and say, I'm going to find you more minutes earlier on, then you've just got to make sure that you're distributing things such that you're, you're not playing, you know, if, if you're going to pull a Trace Jackson Davis off earlier for Michael Durr, you can't put Trace Jackson Davis in. You can't play Michael, Michael Durr the same minutes and then put Trace Jackson Davis in to play a longer stretch at the back end of a half, then you're still worried about him wearing down. So it's, it's kind of a, for me, it's a slightly more complex conversation than should you just change the should you just change the starting lineup? But I think there is absolutely a case for a, a pretty substantial sort of revision of just where Indiana is from rotation, from a rotation perspective, because there is one really big hole in this, this Indiana team right now defensively, and it's guarding wing scores, bigger, bigger bodies that can score outside in on the wing. And it's been a problem all year. Julian Champagny, Buddy Beheim, Johnny Davis, Chris Murray, even Jaden Ivey. You know, I mean, Purdue had a lot of success. Give, give Jaden Ivey maybe maybe 90 more seconds bringing the ball up, initiating the offense in that game, and Purdue probably beats Indiana on Thursday. Yeah, no. There is – that is just kind of the one big hole you got to fill, and I think maybe you could justify juggling minutes around for. Yeah, no question. Zach, I want to get to IU football, but one more text – uh, that I really want to get on the air. I think this is a good one because we talk so much about Trace Jackson Davis and, you know, is he going to come back next year? What level NBA prospect is he? I haven't seen him on the early stuff in the first or second round, so neither of the draftable rounds for uh, the upcoming NBA draft. But the texter writes, consider Hunter Dickinson um, for a moment as a model for what TJD could be and he probably needs to be to succeed in the NBA and basically the question, why can't Trace work on the outside phase of his game more, not only to make IU a tougher opponent to play, but also to make him more desirable for the upcoming NBA draft? I think we've seen Zach uh, Trace expand his game a bit, 
uh, maybe more with his offhand is what I've noticed than anything else. But it is a good point. You know, are we? Are we, and at this point of the season, I think the answer is probably no. But I'm surprised we haven't seen Trace with what Coach Woodson said and what we obviously can see he needs to work on to become a, a more desirable NBA draft prospect. Are we not going to see him step out and work on his outside game? Is that something that's just kind of forgotten at this point? Well, I mean, I think I don't think it's forgotten. I think it is probably something. I mean, listen, if, if he can do it, it's something Indiana could really use. Now, it's also a question of, of whether he can do it. I, I think it's a little bit. You know, the, the Dickinson complaint is, is possibly a little bit, or, or comparison, excuse me, possibly a little bit dangerous. He had taken 17 threes in 14 games before yesterday, and he'd made six of them. Dickinson has always had a little bit more of a face-up game than Trace, not necessarily stepping out beyond the three-point line, but sort of 15 feet and in, he's always had at least enough of that to mix in. That's maybe more where I think if you're Indiana, if, if he's got it, you could see a little bit more growth from Trace Jackson Davis is, is more like, you know, 12 to 15 feet and in and being able to go to the baseline or the, the free throw line extended where I think he has hit a couple shots this season and, and shoot from there with a level of confidence and a level of production that, that just says you can't sag off him. And, and basically, cause when, you know, when a post player feels like he can sag off of Trace Jackson Davis, let's say 15 feet away, it's not just that Jackson Davis has to come at him to create a shot, it's also that then there's a lot of space Jackson Davis has to cover that as he's covering it, a double, it gives a double team the opportunity to come. It gives, a, you know, a, a trap the opportunity to collapse and suddenly the ball's got to come back out and the whole sort of post-up opportunity is wasted. Um, I don't, I do think he's a slightly different player just skills-wise than Hunter Dickinson. And again, I get why Indiana fans maybe see Hunter Dickinson and say like, oh, it'd be great if he, you know, Trace could hit some threes. Um, it's not like Dickinson has been prolific in it, but I think that if, if Trace could find even just, like I said, 15, 16 feet and in, I think there would be some, some value in that. But I also think that, you know, given Mike Woodson's willingness to kind of let guys have some offensive freedom, I think it's probably safe to assume that if, if Trace had confidence in that, we'd see a little bit more of it. And you're right. We did see it earlier in the year and, and maybe as the season wears on, Woodson will try to bring more of that out of him. It would obviously make him better and make, you know, kind of added dimension to Indiana's offense. You just sort of figure after all the talk about it at some point, um, if it was going to happen, it would, for lack of a sort of a, a better way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, IU football question, Tom Allen uh, let this out of the bag on Sunday uh, when he was announcing his new defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, Chad Wilt, also defensive line coach Paul Randolph. The uh, little presser was at Assembly Hall uh, on Sunday, he said that he's going to take the reins back, call his own plays again. So some changes coming for IU from a coaching standpoint in that direction as well. It's interesting, and I, I won't sort of go so far as to pick a side, um, you know, on in in either direction. Um, you know, it is worth pointing out um, that. Tom Allen basically said in 2019 that he, you know, he spent the first two years um, uh, in that job calling defensive plays and, and basically acting as defensive coordinator. And in 2019, when he turned it over to Kane Womack, he said that he just felt like it had been too much for him. Now, 
you know, he kind of talked Sunday about he feels like he's more grown into the job. And I think the implication was kind of it, it won't be such a big deal for him now. Maybe he also has, I mean, and this is really just me presupposing, but like he might also have something in mind for Wilt where he calls place for a year and then hands it over to Wilt. He, you know, Allen admitted up front, or Allen claimed anyway, when he handed defensive coordinator duties over to Kane Womack that, he planned to do it after a season all along, but he wanted to give Womack a season in Bloomington, basically I think out of the firing line to get comfortable, to get settled, to really get to know the defense and its personnel. Maybe he's got something like that in mind for Chad Wilt as well. And it is also worth saying, plenty of head coaches call plays. Ryan Day calls plays at Ohio State, even though he's got Kevin Wilson with him. If I'm not mistaken, Lincoln Riley calls plays. Um, well, he did in Oklahoma. I, I presume he's going to at Southern Cal. So head coaches call plays. That's not uncommon it's just that we have heard this one say that it was too much for him at one time now he's kind of going back to feeling like he can handle it again I don't think it's good or bad until we can get some evidence on it I'm just curious to see basically how Tom Allen balances it yeah Uh, interesting stuff Zach Osterman uh, the Indianapolis star he's with us Mondays always to help get the week started from an IU perspective Zach as always thank you absolutely as always thanks for having me and uh, as we head to commercial break, I want to get a couple other texts on from the Thornton's text line. Uh, texter writes, this is the first really bad loss after a big win in the Woodson time. This nearly totally negated the Purdue win. Hopefully they quit watching Purdue video and remember they have more games. And also a couple responses to my question in the first segment about why are the NFL overtime rules, are they uh, – are, why are they the way they are? And why did the game have to end in the manner it did with the Bills not getting a chance to have the ball last night? Texter writes, I don't like it either, but the game has to end at some point. The broadcasters have other financial obligations, commitments, and a game like last night, they might still be out there playing. Maybe they could uh, continue to move the three-point attempt further and further back. That might work for a while. That obviously is an interesting scenario. And Kevin uh, text in, I have always felt that it wasn't fair in the NFL that you – that if you scored a touchdown that you won, I always felt the other team should get the ball to see if they can also score a touchdown. I think it would be better to play a 10-minute overtime period. So interesting there as well. Yeah, again, I'm not an NFL diehard. I'm not an NFL rules guy. I'm not a football guy through and through like a lot of you guys. So I'm just curious why a great game had to end that way last night. But uh, do appre- appreciate your text on the text line. And uh, we don't get as many texts about local stuff, 502-414-1450. You've got Chad Gilbert coming up, former coach, IHSA board member. A chance to ask him about anything you want. Girls sectional pairings are out. Boys tournament is around the corner. We had a great weekend of high school basketball over the weekend. So I'd love to get more interaction on local stuff because I think that's very much underserved. It's something that uh, has made this show a cornerstone, I think, here in the area. And, of course, on the Big X, we we like our Southern Indiana sports, that's for sure. So love to get your questions and comments on some local things as well. Were you at a high school basketball game over the weekend? Uh, Just thoughts on uh, the area. Love to get those and intertwine those in with what Chad and I talk about each week. 502-414-1450 is the Thornton's text line. Quick commercial break. Back with Chad. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. Let's win this in for 
all the small schools never had a chance to get here. Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Let's win for Coach. You got us here. Here's Matt Dennison. We're back on this Monday program. Chad Gilbert, Charlestown Athletic Director, IHSAA Executive Board Member, our guest. We talk local sports in this segment. And, Chad, I am uh, just thrilled about where we're at here in the high school season. The girls' tournament pairings came out yesterday. We now know the path for Silver Creek if they're going to try to make another run to a state championship game. Uh, We now know what all the local sectionals and beyond look like. And on the boys' side, some really good games this weekend. Floyd Jennings' overtime on Friday was great. Evansville writes at New Albany. The Dogs win in double overtime on Saturday night. Rock Creek with a big upset win over Providence. Watch out for the Lions. Just a really good weekend of hoops here in the area. Matt, we'll start off with girls basketball. Think about this. It just feels like we've blinked and the season's over with. The girls' season is condensed. Reason being is volleyball is before. It's bookended in. Volleyball is before girls' basketball season. It runs out. We're going to get girls from the state tournament into the season. And then they want to have the girls' tournament finished before the boys' tournament starts. If you remember, the girls' state final used to be on boys' sectional week. Do you remember that, Matt? Yep. And sometimes, you know, if your team was playing in the championship, you either have to move that game to a Monday or maybe play a Saturday afternoon, which kind of took the the shine off of it for the boys a little bit. So that's something that the IHSA has made a uh, movement with. And it's something that I think is good for the game. I think it's good for kids to allow those guys to be able to support each other, to be able to be there for their classmates. And what is coming to play is you have a condensed season with girls basketball that you're getting 22 games in in essentially three months. As a coach, that's great. As a player, that's great because um, you know your, your season gets here and it goes. That being said, with the season wrapping up, you know you feel like teams are playing their best ba- basketball right now. Locally, Silver Creek, you know, at our sectional, there's a lot of parity. Silver Creek being in that sectional, they they will go through Charlestown in the regional. We host that for them to get to the semi-state, which is at Jeffersonville. So they're in a situation where they're going to be able to play a lot of their games close to home. And looking at their uh, sectional draw, they got the best sectional draw they could get, I think, looking at it. Um, they're, on the bo- they, uh, they're coming out of the bottom. Charlestown and Corden were the first game out of the top. So it'll be interesting how it goes, but you can guarantee the other six teams in that sectional will be gunning for the Dragons as they are defending champions. If they can get out, they have a, a great shot to make another run at the state finals. If you look at the 4A with Bedford, I think it played out about how you would seed it out with Bedford on one side, James County on the other one. Um, don't sleep on James County, Matt. We've talked about that all year. I think James County is going to uh, – give Bedford all they want coming out of the sectional. Yeah, yeah good. set up there for a, a championship game if it all works out in the uh, Jeffersonville 4A sectional uh, for the girls. Chad Gilbert, my guest. Chad, uh, just a great time of year, as I mentioned, high school basketball, the girls getting ready for the state tournament to begin the boys really in those heart-of-the-season big conference games. Think about New Albany, for example. They've had two key games, Jeffersonville, which was supposed to be in early January, canceled uh, or postponed, and the Silver Creek game, which was supposed to be last Friday, 
also postponed. So in addition to really good games the rest of the way, New Albany, for example, in the month of February, in, in an already tough Hoosier Hills Conference race and Providence game on the schedule and some other very meaningful games, they've got uh, games coming up with Silver Creek and Jeff among all the other ske- games on the schedule. You know, man, I think the Bulldogs are in a great position here to be playing. Again, we weren't, as a coach, you want to be playing your best basketball in March. They're going to have a lot of games in February, so it's going to be an NBA schedule. You know, Coach Shannon. Again, he's no dummy. He's got 600 career wins. Um, he knows at this time of year that legs are most important as anything. So he'll give kids some time away from basketball, time in the gym to shoot, and time in the gym to go over scouts, and time to play. With that being said, he'll be tested coming in. He will see where he stands. Um and he'll be able to make those adjustments by playing Silver Creek, by playing New or Jeffersonville, coming back in the sectional. He'll have a great opportunity to, again, be playing his best. I think that's something that um, we talked about with the Seymour sectional. A lot of parity in there, and the draw is going to be very, very important because I don't think anybody would want to play Jeffersonville. You know, Floyd Central right now would probably be the favorite going in. I don't think anybody would want to play New Albany. I don't think anybody would want to play Seymour on their home court. I don't think anybody would want to play Jennings County, who took Floyd Central uh, to the limit on Saturday night. So that one is going to be a lot of parity and a lot of a lot of great basketball, great atmosphere for fans. So hopefully we can get big crowds here in the state tournament, not just for our student athletes, but for our fans' excitement. Chad, I, we talked some about facilities and how spoiled we are here in southern Indiana and I use your basketball facility uh, from time to time I'm in and out of there a lot it's one of the best in the area as far as the setup not just for high school games but as far as for other activities tournaments leagues you've got four courts under one roof a really good setup but you are uh, you're making some improvements to your softball field as well I saw a picture of turf going down and so some big improvements coming with some spring sports also Matt, our facilities at Charlestown High School are second to none. We've had a great vision, a great plan. Our superintendent, Mark Kaufner, has put a plan together that we want to be able to showcase our facilities. You know, this will attract students to Charlestown High School. We've got a great curriculum, a great teachers, great teachers, a lot of things to offer. But what we're doing to our outside facilities, our swimming pool, which is indoors, by the way, our football field, our tennis courts are unbelievable. Our softball field fully turfed. Our baseball field is getting uh, infield turfed. Our facilities, you know, I, I, they say, well, this is better than a small college. This is great facilities for anywhere, bar none. If you come out here and get an opportunity to see what we have to offer, it's unbelievable how nice it looks and how it is for our students' safety. The, you talked about our gym right now, Matt. Our gym, if we have five facilities, our gym is number five. Now, uh, we have plans to get that thing to make it back up where it's the best, again, out of all of our facilities. But that says a lot. And our gym is extremely nice. As you said, that's not taking anything away from our gym. That just shows you how nice the rest of our facilities are out here. And I think a lot of that credit goes to our superintendent for the vision he has and the ability to let us put a plan together and, and follow through and see in that plan. And what this is, Matt, is you'll see more and more schools doing this because it's an arms race. Who can outdo who to get students in your school? Yeah, absolutely. Chad Gilbert, great points. And uh, we've seen a lot of facility improvements here lately, and I think that's a conversation we come back to. Chad Gilbert with me on Mondays as we talk local sports. Good time of year, Chad. Thanks for being with us to start the week. 
It is a great time, Matt, and thanks for everything you do for high school sports. Thank you very much. That'll wrap things up here for this Monday program. Back every day this week at 11 a.m., this is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison.